Good morning, everyone. It is Saturday the 4th of September in Melbourne, Australia right now. It is 10 o'clock in the morning, which means it's around 8 o'clock Friday night, the 3rd of September in Toronto, Canada. And I'm really excited and looking forward to this one. This is uh, show number 57 of So What's Been Happening. And ironically, we always discuss with the boys that it was one of those podcasts that we put out during lockdown. And to be honest, at show number 57, we never thought we'd be in a lockdown situation still in Melbourne, Victoria, Australia. So that's there's some trials and tribulations that come with that, obviously. It's, it's kind of two years we're up to now. So we all know that negative impact that's had uh, mentally, that's for sure, on so many people. Um, but there's so much positivity in the world still. Um, and one story that's so positive is our show number 57. Uh, I would have loved to have had this this guy on half a dozen times at least by now, but I've saved it all the way up to show 57, which has been his famous number um, and the number that he holds true to his heart is number 57. So I thought, what better time to have show number 57 with Paul Rosen? But what I'm going to do first is just... I've just Googled a couple of famous number 57s across the way. It's getting harder and harder to get these these high numbers. So this one won't go for too long, but uh, hear me out and just take a look at this one. Yes, 57. There's a few of them. And that last one at the end is a little snippet to this great man that I'm going to bring up next, Mr. Paul Rosen. G'day, Rosie. Good day, Aaron. I'm telling you, man, I've been on. First of all, I love you. You know that. I love everybody in Australia. My prayers go with everybody. But um, I've been on a lot of shows. I just uh, sent Gooch a message. That's why I'm wearing the uh, Hits Happen uh, Stop Concussions t-shirt. I got my 57 from Torino behind me, and uh, wow, what a classy entrance. I love that. I love the uh, music. I love the way you've done things. All class from Australia, that's what I can say. Cheers, Rosie. Appreciate those kind words. The interesting part is, like I mentioned at the start of the show, this was never supposed to go past show number one. And to be right. honest, uh, I was inspired by yourself and Gooch, uh, who used to reach out to a lot of people. And during your original lockdowns, you started a very similar type of show, just jumping on, having a chat to people around the world, largely hockey community originally, and then it's kind of really expanded since then. So we'll touch on a couple of those a little bit later. But um, yeah, this, as I said, this wasn't supposed to go past show one. We're now up to show 57. We've brought on, like you saw, some snippets at the start there. So many musical friends and guests, and we've really expanded that now into artists and sporting sporting stars and legends. Um, and your right up there with the best of them, Rosie. Um, we met originally through the Ice Hockey Classic, through yep. Gooch, um, and we were l lucky enough to be up there on the stage at the Hall of Fame with Gooch's wedding. So that was a really special moment to me, mate. But um, And got to spend a little bit of time to hang out with you in Australia when you've been here for the Canada-USA Ice Hockey Tours, which hopefully we can do again one day very soon. Let's cross our fingers and hope we're back there soon. Hey, you know, I'm looking behind you. I don't know if you know the uh, significance of that picture that's behind you. That was the last, there was um, about another one second, 1.2 seconds left in my career. That goal, the puck is going in the net. It was deflected. Unfortunately, things happen. Uh, we were tied with Norway for the bronze, 1-1. Eskel Hagen shot it from the point. It was coming into my blocker. It hit Billy Bridges' shoulder, went over my head, went in the net. We lose the bronze with one point. So I had 1.2 seconds left in my career after that picture. Haven't seen that one in a long time. Yeah, it's a beautiful pick. Obviously, uh, thanks to the world of Google there for, uh, for, for finding a few picks for me of the great Rosie. So um, it's just a shout out to the Gooch who never – Never misses, mate, especially when you're around, Rosie. He's he's probably one of my biggest inspirations, to be perfectly honest, and I'm sure one of yours. Um, he's a good friend okay. of ours. And there wouldn't be a show 
without uh, Robert Wine tuning in as well. So I really appreciate Robert. He's he's this guy's incredible, as you know, Rosie. Um, he's you been. Know, I, yeah, sorry, he I, I don't. Yeah, I don't he think with every show that I've been on, uh, no matter whether I'm a guest or I'm the host, the Robert Wine has either been on or said something to me or done. Um, you talk about a guy with character, a guy who's overcome adversity, a guy with with warrior spirit. Um, Robert Wine, for those of you that don't know the Canada Five, you look it up. Uh, Robert Wine, one of the greatest human beings in in the world. Yeah, he sure is, um, no doubt. And I I really feel honored through everyone else. And he was one of those guys that was up on that stage too during that Hall of Fame and sat only a couple of uh, little spots next to me. So I really appreciate it. I love looking at that photo. It brings back so many good memories. But this one's about you, Rosie. Um, I'm not sure how many people sit there these days and come back and talk to you about your your whole story. And I know you've got some exciting things coming up in the works as well. But let's go, let's go as far back as we can, mate, to really kind of early days, early days and life growing up in Thornhill. Yeah, so I was born April 26, 1960. Uh, mother and father, hardworking people. Uh, my mom passed away uh, five years ago. My dad is still next month. He'll be 90 years old. He's a tough old guy. I had uh, a, an older brother, Stephen, who's four, a little over four years older than me, who got me into sport. Uh, my sister, Gail, is two years younger than me. She is still one of the closest people in the world to me. And I had a brother, very few people know, who was uh, about seven years younger than me, who passed away uh, from spinal bifida at a very young age. So never really met him. Uh, but I just grew up in, in a regular family. Dad worked real hard. My mom worked real hard. Uh, we didn't have much, but what we had was ours. And, um, you know, just went to school, went along, had, had great friends, great family, uh, I was fortunate, very fortunate to have incredible grandparents on both sides, my mom's parents and my dad's parents till I was older, um, which huge influence in my life. And um, then, uh, you know, hockey started. And uh, in 1975, when I thought this was going to be, you know, I was I was moving up. I, you know, people ask me, could you have played in the NHL? I don't know. Uh, but I do know I would have played like Gooch. I would have made a living playing hockey, whether it was in Germany or somewhere. Uh, hockey was going to get me. School is very difficult for me, Aaron. Um, I uh, I was never diagnosed until later with dyslexia and learning issues. Um, I was called an idiot in school so many times. I, 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 I always thought I couldn't read or write. You know, it was really my girlfriend who gave me the courage and told me, you can read or write. You just have to do it a little differently. Um, but it's it's just a, a sense back then that you were you were just pushed to the side. You were either in the crowd that could do or the crowd that couldn't do. And I was pushed in the crowd that couldn't do. So, um, I, you know, I got into a lot of trouble. I, I grew up and, you know, I, my book's coming out shortly and everything's in there. My dad, I'll say right now, one of the greatest people in the world. Love him to death. He's going to be 90 next month. But... I grew up in a situation where my dad physically was not very nice to me at many times, which couldn't get away with now. But I say to people that his dad did the same to him that he did to me. And you got to stop it at some point. Thankfully, I stopped it with my son. But, um, you know, started playing hockey and that was my getaway. Hockey, everybody has their escape when there's problems in the world. My problems took me to hockey and hockey was my love. Unfortunately, in May of 1975, my, my midget year, I, I broke my leg in a, in a terrible uh, accident coming around the net. Hey, look at that. Look at the hair on that guy. Wow. Good looking. Uh, I, I don't know where you got that one, baby, but that's good. That's my, yeah, that was it. Uh, the long hair, the big right shot. I, I fought because I had to. Listen, I was Jewish in an, in an area that wasn't Jewish, so I had uh, anti-Semitic. Uh, uh, Semitic stuff. I was called all kinds of names. Um, uh, the the crazy thing, Aaron, and I, if we want to get into it, we can. Like I was said, always, just walk. before we do, just before we do, was it always hockey for you as a sport, or what, you know, what else was what was what what else did the, the kids play in that area? And um, you mentioned the area, and and yeah, what what else came from that? So for me, it was baseball and hockey. That was it. 
So I, I played baseball in the summer. I played hockey because back then in the 70s, there was no summer hockey, really. So I was a baseball player, a catcher, and that's how I became a, a goaltender in sled hockey. And we'll get into that later. But I was a catcher in baseball. I was a right winger in hockey. Those were my loves. That was it. I hated school. Um, I, I, I took a lot of uh, a lot of punishment from my dad because of the things I did in school. But I just wanted to get 3.30 to happen so I could get to hockey or to baseball. And that, that's all I really cared about. Um, yeah. so, so on that, I mean, that's such a big release for so many kids that aren't necessarily gifted students. Or thank God there's so much more awareness around learning now um, and that every kid is at a different level. Um, there was so much expectation back a long time ago that every kid had to fit that square box. And if the kid didn't, he was considered to be you know, a, a, a reject school kid, you know, and they, they wouldn't find anything else for him. Then he was bullied, then all the whole story. And you've, you've been through plenty of trials and tribulations, no doubt, through schooling. Mm. Um, but to not have that, that sports release that we so look forward to at that 3.30 mark, I want to just get to sport. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's been difficult for so many kids, especially across this last phase of life. Oh, yeah. Well, the good and the bad and the changes. So back then, uh, there were so many school teams. And I was on all of them. You know, I played on the basketball team. I played on the hockey team. I played on the baseball team. I played on the volleyball team. So there were so many outlets. Now, unfortunately, there's not a lot of school teams because of the way things are going with the budgets and that. But there was no way a kid like myself at 13 or 14 or 15 would be called an idiot or a ret I hate this word, but I was called it by teachers, a retard, retarded by teachers. This would never happen now. Nowadays, you would... You know, like I, I have a grandson who has learning disabilities. He has a special teacher, a special education teacher with him. This is like if I was brought up the way kids are brought up now, I could have been a doctor or a lawyer if I wanted to be. But I was put into the situation where, no, you, you can't do it. And that's That was what I was told in school almost on a daily basis there. You can't do it. You're an idiot. Yeah, I mean, uh, if nothing else... Rosie, that would have taught you some serious resilience that you must look back on now and think, I got through that. So I can almost, as you know, you've been through so many other journeys since then, but that must have been just a little snippet of saying, I can grab this and I can learn from this. And I got through this part. So look yeah. what I can do next. Um, and your philosophy of that never give up attitude. Um, you know, I've written that mantra down um, and uh, trying to live by it as best as I can. So Rosie, thanks for for imparting that on it. I know that's one of your big ones. Um, let's move forward into the, the kind of next phase into, into your life then when hockey, when hockey was going to be big in 75 and then you moved, you moved later into your career. Where did it go from there? Well, when, when that ended and, and I finished school and I, there was nothing really, I, I didn't know what to do. So I just started working. I got a job at uh, a mall in Toronto, Yorkdale Mall. I got a job at uh, uh, Athletes World. It was a shoe store, kind of like the Foot Locker right now or the Locker Room. Uh, um, and I just started to work. I met a girl, and before I knew it, I got married. And I don't even know back then if I think about it, like what I did, but I got married. And before I knew it, I had three kids. You know, I, we got married in 83. I had a kid in 84, a kid in 86, a kid in 88. By the time I was 28 years old, I had three kids. I had a serious drug and alcohol prob problem, um, more drugs and alcohol, but alcohol was still a good friend of mine um, on a hidden basis. But from that injury in 75, the the drug issue and the and I do a lot of work now uh, with, with uh, opiates and, and um, trying to get education out there uh, because when I started my drug addiction there wasn't what kids have now with fentanyl this is killing people at and and it's not like we'll get into my suicide attempt and everything but there are so many accidental overdoses now because you have no clue what you're taking I knew what I was taking back in the 70s and the 80s and even the 90s but the last 10 years no clue you a drug addict could tell you he knows what he's or she knows what they're taking. There's no way, no way, Garen. Yeah, not not these days, that's for sure. Um, and it still breaks my heart to see that that through our world. But there's so much pressure on society that, you know, as we know, it's some people just don't see um, 
a way out and a way, and they think that's a way of managing it. And uh, Rosie, I'm just so honoured to see you here on our show talking about this. Um, I know we talked about being raw and real, and that's that's exactly what I want to be because there's so much good that you've brought through this journey and so much good that you can offer so many people that have been there or going through there or thinking of going there. Um, yeah. And I think uh, that's that's an incredible gift you've got left um, to, to impart on so many more people. Yeah. But tell us a little bit about um, that experience back after after hockey and then the decades moving on to then when, um, you know, let's talk about uh, what happened with your leg. Yeah, so in 97, so from 1975 to 1997, just imagine from 15 to, uh, to, to 37, that I'm just living a life. I'm, I'm married. I have kids. I, I'm, you know, you're taking your kids here. You're going to, you're working, you're doing everything. You're in pain. You're, t- and I'm taking a lot of, a lot of pills, a lot of barbiturates, a lot of pills, but I'm just going through life. Nobody knows. I get a call, which changed, changed my life. There's a few calls that changed my life, Aaron, but this one happened in, uh, in late January of 1997. I got a call from a buddy of mine, Odette Orgel, who was in charge of the Israeli national hockey program. He asked me if I wanted to go in late February to Belgrade, Yugoslavia in 1997, very close to the uproar, very close to a, to a civil war there. Not a good place for an Israeli team to be. They did not, we were, they were not inviting Jewish people over for dinner. Let's put it that way. So we go and I'm, uh, I'm, I'm helping this under 18 team at the time of my life, uh, Sad part is six months after we left, the the ice rink that we were playing in uh, was blown up by the Serbs and huge, huge war, which I don't want to get into the political end of that, what happened in Yugoslavia, former Yugoslavia. Um, But to have that passion back, Aaron, at 37, to work with these kids and be on the ice. And, you know, that's where I met Max Spearbriar, who was a kid I brought over here. He was drafted by the New Jersey Devils. He lived with us. I had that, you know... That sense of, oh, my God, I have something to love again. Like, I, you know, yeah, I, I had my life. But, you know, athletes will tell you, and, and forget athletes for a second, addicts will tell you that you've got so many things going on in your life with, with your drugs and your alcohol and, the, and, the, and, and you still want to love the people around you, your mother, your father, your sister, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, whatever. But that drug just drives you to a place where you don't care. Realistically, you don't care about anything about the next time you're going to be able to forget about the world. And that's what getting high is, forgetting about the world. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is a, uh, I know you've mentioned uh, love and, and, and loving things again. Um, this guy's lucky enough who I'm going to bring up now, who's a good friend of mine who runs, who helps, helps me with the show. Um, he happens to have the last name as love, so um, which is pretty handy uh, yep. for sure. So let's bring him up, Alan Love. G'day, Lovey. Let's bring you up. How are you, mate? Aaron, how are you? Paul, very nice to very meet good. you, mate. How are you? Nice to meet you, Alan. I love that game. I love that name. It says Alan Love the Game, and I love the game. I love that name, Alan. Uh, look, usually, you know, because I think I'm, I think because I think I'm funny. I'll, uh, I've, uh, I try and put a, 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 a song title to blend in with the, the surname, but just for today, I figured I'll try and put something in there from a sports perspective. So there you go. Um, yeah, I get a fair bit back the other way from, uh, from that surname, good and bad. It's all right. Happy days. It's, uh, you run with it like anything else, but, um, I, I, I'm just very, very honoured, very happy to, to have to have you on our podcast, mate. To be honest, it's it's fantastic. It's uh, we don't often no, get a lot of people who have as much as what you have. Aaron knows that uh, anything he needs, uh, all you got to do is call. And uh, you know, like I said, I was fortunate enough to meet him through Kerry, and uh, and and the Gooches uh, has been in my corner for a long, long time. Uh, so uh, anything to do with uh, Aaron, anything to do with Australia, you know, some of my greatest trips and I've been around the world was like, I remember it like it was yesterday when we were in Australia in 2017 and we went to the, to the hospital in, uh, in Brisbane and, and saw the kids. Uh, um, you know, it was, 
there was five of the players on the U.S. and, Amer and the Canadian team that came with, and they're able-bodied. And we walk into this room, and, and the room of kids that are extremely, extremely ill, and then I'm missing my leg, and these kids light up. Like they're, you, that's what people don't understand. You know, if you go to the local hospital, go to your sick kids, go to the hospital where you see kids that are, are in such need of just a smile and a, Hey, how you doing? And if you're fortunate enough to be a, a popular person, whether it's in hockey or in soccer or in anything, it doesn't have to be sport. Just put a smile on a kid who's sick live. Oh my God. That's the greatest, the greatest thrill in the world. Yeah, and a small, yeah. a small's free, isn't it, Lovey? Yep, absolutely. Cost you nothing. Yep. It's like your manners. Correct. Cost you Correct. nothing. Correct. Exactly right. All right, Rosie. Let's keep continuing with that uh, that story. Sure. So, uh, so yeah, we uh, we finished that uh, that tournament in Belgrade. I come back and I get an opportunity to go to uh, the next tournament, uh, which is Andorra. It's um, in between Spain and and France. And on the way back, my leg snaps basically in the Frankfurt airport. Uh, come back to Toronto. I need a knee replacement. Uh, it's in July of 97. I have the knee replacement. Everything seems good. Uh, August, I'm feeling good. September, I'm feeling good. October, uh, I remember it like it was yesterday. I'm watching TV with my, uh, with my oldest daughter. She's 15 at the time. Was a show that you guys might remember. This show is pretty popular. It's called Party of Five. It was a popular show. Yeah, um, and I went to the bathroom and I fell over. And she had to call an ambulance, and the ambulance came, and they had to take the knee replacement out that night. I picked up an infection. Uh, the infection then I battled from that uh, almost October of '97 until early June of '99. And all that was hospitals, back and forth, and revision, the knee out. When people, if you're watching, you don't know what a, a, a revision is. When you have a knee replacement or any joint replacement, they put the new joint in, whether it's shoulder, knee, ankle, hip, and it's usually stainless steel or titanium. When it's infected, they have to take it out, and they have to put a revision piece of cement in. The cement is with antibiotics, and it tries to get it better. They take that out and they put the new one in. They continuously did that with me till we had no choice. It was done. And then from there um, goes to what I call when I do my talks, the three craziest days of my life. On uh, on June the 8th, uh, I, I end up in Israel. So I reach out to one of my buddies in Israel. We're talking. I don't trust the doctors. And you know what? The doctors in Toronto were great. They, I honestly think 20 years later, 22 years later, they did the best they could. It was just out of their hands. And uh, I ended up going to Israel. Um, one of my buddies on the team's mom worked at this private hospital in Tel Aviv. I got there on June the 8th. The doctor sat me down. They told me how serious this was. Um, and on June the 9th, the next morning, one of my tattoos here, 090699, they amputated my leg mid-thigh. On June the 10th, 100%, there you go. I, I was going to say, you've had these other incredible pictures. You probably got that one. That was me on June the 10th. Um, can you imagine that? That's three days. Uh, two, every tube's gone now. I got to uh, go back to that one for a second. I want to see if you guys can pick this up. You see that hat? If you guys can zoom in on that hat, this is so, like, incredible. So I, I, in 97, when I was with the Israeli team, I made good friends because we played the Australians were in the sea pool where we won. I made good friends with the captain. He gave me that hat. I'm wearing that hat in that picture, the Australian ice hockey club in Israel, in the, just with a T-shirt, shorts, my legs gone. I'm 24 hours after amputation. And look how, how crazy this is. We're talking in Australia, and I've got the Australian cap on. Sure is, sure is. Um, I still I mean, have that hat. It's somewhere around, but uh, yeah, that meant uh, that meant the world to me. And um, I, I woke up and I was healthy. And uh, I, I came back to Toronto um, about a week later, and the journey began from that point on. Just on that, I mean, I read through your bio um, on on your website, Rosie, and the massive comment that stands out for me was when the doctor looked you square in the eyes and gave you those words, um, probably four of the most powerful words that a doctor would ever normally deliver to a patient. Um, you're going to die. 
Yeah. Um, just talk to us about how that sat with you at the time. Well, you know what? I, I didn't, I knew I was sick and I knew I went through a lot of stuff and I knew I was not looking good or feeling good. And, and I had uh, lines in me, pick lines in me. And, but, but I had, I had a 15 year old daughter at home. I had a 13 year old son. I had an 11 year old daughter. I, I had life that I wanted to live. I had no clue where it was going to take me to, to be where I am now and then to compete in three Olympic games. And, but, but I just knew there was something about me um, that I knew I was in good hands. I knew that I was going to get through this. And I, I knew when they said to me that they could amputate my leg, that at that moment I thought dying with two legs, living with one leg. No, I, I'm going to go for living with one leg. Yeah. And that, and I've had a lot of things, guys, like, to be honest with you, you know that I, I don't, you know, sugarcoat things. In, since that amputation in, in, in June of 99 till today when we're, we're talking uh, in September of 2021, that's a long time ago. Um, I have very rarely, if ever, felt sorry for myself being a one-legged guy. I've had a lot of other issues. I, I tried to commit suicide. I've had a lot of issues in my life. But I always knew when they took that leg off that I would never feel sorry for myself for having one leg. And I never have. Yeah. Yeah, I think I that's that, uh, um, pretty powerful. Bobby. Yeah, I, I, I find that... Um, I find that staggering in, in terms of I can't I couldn't possibly think the way you think about it, Rosie, that uh, I, and when the doctors tell you you're about to die, I think, yeah, you do whatever you need to do, I guess, to make sure you keep your life. But um, I, I, I'm lucky enough to still have all four limbs and I, I, I hear I, I, I know of people that have lost a limb or things like that and they've They've gone through a pretty, pretty solid regret sort of period, if you like. It sounds like you didn't. Um, how, what, what was your mindset like? Can you take me through your mindset as to how did you just literally switch straight away to go? You know what? I couldn't care less if I haven't got my leg anymore. Like, because like, like I said, I've got a ton of ton of friends that have that, that still to this day are, they do struggle with not being able to be mobile or can't lift things and stuff. So what was, what did you do? What, did you, what was your mind, what was your process? If you could go back to that picture that you had with me with the, with the Australian hat, like a day after the amputation, that picture there. Okay, so see the smile on that face? That was a yeah. difference. So from uh, probably late 97 until that morning, every day was pain. Every day I had pain. Every day I thought about, oh, I don't want to live anymore. I cannot handle this pain. It's just too much. It's agony. I woke up that morning with no pain. I woke up with no leg, but no pain, you know? So right there, it was like I equated. Now, now I had a serious drug issue still, but that had nothing to do with pain. By that point, the, the pills and the, the alcohol and everything I was taking, and I was taking a lot of other things too, had nothing to do with my leg. That had to do with me being a drug addict. Um, but the uh, the pain was gone. The smile was on my face. And I was not going to let this one leg, you know, I always joke around. And I, I just said it to Lucky, our buddy who just lost his leg, you know, legs are overrated. There's a million disabilities out there. You know, Robert knows. I said on my show, Sunday Night Show with Brad Barco, The Journey. There's a million disabilities. You can join our club anytime you want, the disability club. We'll let anybody in. As far as disabilities go, losing your leg, it's not so bad. It's not so bad. I got some very close people in my life that are really living through disabilities. I got nothing, nothing to worry about. Yeah, I think um, that's incredibly powerful. When you, when It's really hard for us and uh, me and Lovey to obviously understand and so many able-bodied people that when you, when you get through that phase – but I've heard this a couple of times from you, Rosie, and also some other people that you're actually cutting off all that pain. Effectively, you're getting rid of that problem. That is something you're kind of hanging on to, or in some instances, you don't get given that chance. But um, 
where that pain just is so constant and consistent and they're always trying to save something where the biggest answer is to actually cut it off and repair and then you can actually move forward. I mean, this, you know, this has really taken me back and for the first time probably this year, I've actually sat and watched so much more Paralympics since I've met you, Rosie. Um, mate, how could you not be inspired by these athletes? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, just watching, and unfortunately, we don't have great coverage in Canada, which is another, we won't get into that, because that could be another show, uh, just watching uh, replays from yesterday from the Paralympics uh, a little while ago, yeah, my, um, my girlfriend and, and I were watching it, and you, whether you're a disabled athlete, or you're disabled, or you're able-bodied, if you can't be inspired by some of the incredible athletes, and it doesn't matter from Canada, from Australia, from Russia, from, from, anywhere anywhere in the world it's unbelievable yeah we use a little bit of video on this show but i'm just going to play this is probably app now that we just take a little breather and and play this little clip it goes for about two minutes so it'll give us a chance to have a little breather um perfect. on some incredible images from the paralympics perfect let's watch Pretty powerful, um, no doubt. Um, and if you if you can't draw any inspiration or emotion from some of that stuff, for just through uh, the current Paralympics, we didn't talk Winter Paralympics, but uh, Lovey, your thoughts? Incredible, isn't it? Yeah, um, I've, I've watched quite a few events, and even if I, I reckon, if I, even if I competed in some of those events against, I'd get smashed. Like I would get That's absolutely it. humbled. <laughs> you know, I. Uh, it's funny that we, we, we struggle with, uh, and whether it's mental or physical, we sort of struggle in, uh, with day-to-day stuff and trying to adjust and adapt. These these guys these guys and girls, they just got on with it, didn't they? It's like what you said, Rosie. You know, they, 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 they've all decided, well, something's happened to me. Um, it's pretty significant now, but it'll be okay. And then they've decided, well, now I've got new goals. And I've heard that story a lot as well in some interviews. Yeah, they... They talk about how they initially felt sorry for themselves a little bit, but then um, they decide, well, I'm going to have a crack at this. Why not? I can do it. And um, wow, some of the some of the some of the achievements they've, they've they've made, not just because they won something or whatever, the fact that they can get out and do these things, it means that they've just they've just adapted. They've adapted to what they wanted to do in life. It's got nothing to do with a disability or anything. And yeah. um, I would hate to be on the end of one of those uh, rugby hits. I'd hate to be. Really? I'd hate to be. Oh, hey guys, 
one of the craziest things I had a chance to uh, to go out once uh, uh, with David Wilsey, the captain of the Canadian wheelchair rugby team, and I, I I played for I don't know five minutes. I loved it. It was like full out craziness. I he says you can't play. You're not disabled enough. You, yeah. you have to have a disability of being sort of paralyzed from chest down. You can't you can't be a lamp and play. It's unfair because um, I wheel the wheel the, the chair too hard and. Uh, Anyways, these guys are just insane, uh, the wheelchair rugby team. And you, you want to talk about teams, forget about the guys. Let's go with the the the, the sitting volleyball team in Canada. The, who, who's at the games? Not the men's team, the women's team. You know, we, we talk about the sled hockey. We always talk about the men. We don't talk about the women's team. The women's Canadian team, phenomenal. Women's American team, incredible. Um, you know, let's start to give the women uh, some credit because uh, I, some of the women athletes out there uh, could could blow the men away if they were given the same amount of financial uh, means. Yeah. Well, we've only just now... Um it's just the other day. It's, it's quite ridiculous. I'm glad it's finally happened. Our Prime Minister the other day only just passed a, passed a, uh, a it's not a law, but I, I guess it was a bill that said that the Paralympians, each medalist gets the same amount of uh, financial support now if you're a medalist as able-bodied. I mean, it's taken since, what, 1960 for that to happen. Um, well, you know, it was a thing that just came out. Uh, somebody put it on the internet yesterday and I responded. They said, I know that the Canadian... Um, Olympians get 20,000 for a gold, 15,000 for a silver, and 10,000 for a bronze. How much do the Paralympians get? So I just made a big zero. Zero. Nothing for a gold, nothing for a silver, nothing for a bronze. That's just the way it is. Yeah. Yeah, it's terrible. Um, even to the point where, you know, all the sponsors and everything that were part of, uh, part of the Olympic journey um for tokyo they haven't even got the same level of sponsorship for the paralympics and i think that's kind of embarrassing to be perfectly honest I, you, you look at that footage and and the videos and stuff we've shown um as i said if you can't draw inspiration from that um like we said lovey we wouldn't even close to compete against them and to be fair to them if they hadn't have had the the issues they've encountered over their time they probably wouldn't be olympians right let's face well, it I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll guarantee right now, if I wasn't a Paralympian, I, I wouldn't have been good enough to be an Olympian. Yeah. You know, I was a good hockey player, but, you know, to, to then have that opportunity to then be a Paralympian, not just then, then not just be a Paralympian, but be, have a pretty good career. Let's just put it that way. Sure. And, and on that, I mean, that was no, that was obviously meant with no disrespect to a Paralympian and what they've been able to achieve, but I think they've been given the biggest gift of all to be able to achieve in that environment now. Um, and you hear some of the, forget the photos, forget the images. And for a second, hear the stories. The stories are incredible through mental toughness alone. Um, and Rosie, one thing I resonate with you so much, mate, is if I could have a 10th of your mental toughness now, um, I would be a pretty happy guy, mate. I'm a pretty, soft marshmallow made underneath um and if you can ever impart any of that never give up attitude i give up way too quickly uh in life generally so uh, i'm sure you can continue that journey with so many people yeah uh, absolutely um do you want me to uh to talk about the the the, the hockey end of things right. yeah sure so let's let's push on for for the that next phase of your life what did you do once once the leg was off and and where did you go from there so I came back and I was very fortunate to go to a place called Variety Village, uh, which was unbelievable. I met it. I met a 12-year-old boy, Shane Smith. Shane just competed at the wheelchair rugby in Tokyo. Unfortunately, they ended up in fifth. Uh, haven't talked to him yet since he's back. I'm going to let him cool down a little because I know he's disappointed. Because um, I know we were disappointed in Vancouver and fourth, so I'm just going to leave him be for a bit. But if it wasn't for him, he gave me that that you know little push he told me about sled hockey and uh and i i ended up uh, uh looking at the game i wanted to be good i didn't think i could be good as a forward and defenseman but being a catcher in baseball brought me to that level and um i started training i i just finished this week going back to my goalie coach jamie mcguire mcguire goaltending a plug here if you're in toronto uh the best goaltending coach in the world jamie mcguire got me to where i needed to be he treated me like a goalie 
not like an able-bodied goalie, a Paralympic goalie, a disabled goalie. As soon as I got on on the on the ice in my sled, he started training me like he trained Marty Berdur. Like it didn't matter, and that's what gave me this mindset. Like, oh man, like I could play at this level, and I could be at the the NHL of the of of sled hockey or para ice hockey, which was the Paralympic Games. And I made the team, and we, my first games was Salt Lake City. We had a terrible outing. Um, the the Americans dominated. Uh, was just four months after nine, five months after nine eleven. It was a crazy time to uh, to be competing at, at the highest level, and we lost. And one of the best things that happened when we lost was almost immediately a mindset shifted. Hockey Canada took over the program. We got a brand new coach, Jeff Snyder, whose people might not know that name, but if they know about hockey, they'll remember the story. Dan Snyder, who died in a car accident in 2003 with uh, Dan Heatley driving the Atlanta Thrashers. That was his uh, um, nephew. So Jeff became our coach. And again, he coached us like we were hockey players. He coached the, the under-18 Canadian team, Able Body. He coached the Kitchener Rangers and the OHL. So immediately, every drill that we did, the Able Body pros did. He just adapted the drill so you could do it in a sled. And that's the one thing I really want to put towards the Australian team when I get a chance one day to come down there. you you got to teach your team. You've got to... Take your team through drills exactly like the NHL teams that you watch would do. Just adapt certain drills because you're skating with your hands, remember. You're skating with sticks with your hands. You're not skating with your feet. So adapt a drill that will make the drill as hard, as competitive, as respectful as any able body. And, and I'll give a quick lesson right now to anybody watching out there that is going to watch the, the Paralympics uh, or watch the para team in Australia. Don't come up to a para athlete, whether they're going to be in the Olympics in the Paralympics or whether they're just playing for fun and say, wow, you guys are just as good as regular hockey. There's 101 rule 101 to anybody watching your show, guys, never say that. Because if you say regular, you're making everybody disabled feel like, oh my god, I what's regular? What does that mean? I'm I'm not regular. Able, able body hockey, para high hockey. That's the difference, you know. It, you know, ice hockey, able body, para. That's the only. That's it. So don't put regular. Don't put normal. Don't put these words in that 20 years ago you might have got away with. You're not getting away with them today, not on my watch. It's, it's actually interesting you say it like that, Rosie. I do hear, and it, it's good to hear that from you, um, that it's the right way of, I guess, describing things. I mean, I, I do hear the words able-bodied versus para a, a lot more in, in some commentary now. I, I agree with you. It used to be just, you know, oh, well, you know, there's a there's a Paralympian over there and there's a, there's a, a glorified Olympian over here and... You know, everyone's talking about, for instance, Michael Phelps and his 35 goals, but no one talks about, you know, a couple of other athletes in, in, in the Paralympics that might be almost just as successful, which there has been. Um, yeah. But the references to able-bodied and, and, and para, I, I, I'm glad that that's the right way to go about um, referring to things because yeah you know, there's too much discrimination on all sorts of levels as it is these days, and um, this is this is one of the bigger areas that needs to eradicate that discrimination as much as possible. Um, yeah. So I'm glad that, you know, I'm glad that they're the sort of references that, that are acceptable and can and should be used. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and definitely. people will learn, you know, you, you, you listen, you learn, you use common sense, you know, think about what that boy or girl or man or woman are going through in a wheelchair or, or with an artificial limb um, or with an invisible disability. You know, like a drug addiction, uh, like uh, uh, like concussions. You know, we, we talk about, you know, we could we could do a three hour show. If we start talking about concussions. But, um, you know, there's so many people that disability is as is is deep within their in their soul because of things that they're going through. Yeah. Um, I mean, one of our most famous Paralympians, Dylan Alcott at the moment, um, 
who you, you may know, is, yep. is a great, fantastic tennis player um, and just won countless tournaments now. But his his ability to inspire so many more people um, and he runs there very much with the, with the with the concept that he's able, right? It's not this, this anything, okay? He's, he's shown his ability to be, to do what he can do. And some of these incredible Australian athletes, and that's how they should be titled, um, is, you know, just phenomenal what they've been able to achieve during this Olympics. I've never been, one, so inspired, and two, uh, so shocked at actually how competitive we are incredibly around the world. Um, so there's, there's a lot to be said for uh, the efforts we're putting into Paralympians. Um, right. the, and giving them the best opportunity to be as equal as possible uh, with all Olympians. And that's obviously showing on that world stage as well. So I really hope the rest of the world can take that on board. I, I say to people that say, but well, what, what about the Paralympic team here? Or what about the Paralympic team here? The, the, the second you start putting the same financial resources into grassroots in Paralympics as you do in Olympics, the same time you start to put the same money into grassroots programs as a disabled sport, as able body sport, that's when you're going to see people competing at the highest level. But there's still too many countries that put all their money into the Olympics, nothing into the Paralympics. And the perfect example is Sochi. Okay, Sochi, Russia. Um, I don't want to get political, but Sochi, Russia have been there many times to Russia. The Putin said a year before, they didn't even believe in, in the word disability. But they had to put the Paralympics on in Russia because they had the Olympics. And what happened? All of a sudden, they had incredible Paralympians who were winning golds and silvers and all kinds of because they put tons of money into it. Hmm. They put tons of money into it. And then what happens? Wow, they can compete because they have the same equal level as any able body athlete. Yeah. Yeah. It's incredible to yeah. see uh, how, how, what China, where China have gone to now. Um, I mean, same thing, boy, same thing. Boy, what a, what a, what a top of the tree they are at the moment. But tell, tell us a little bit about this kind of feeling, Rosie. Um, wow. Love that picture. You know, yeah. It's a shame. I haven't got a better quality version to give it true, true justice, but just tell us a little bit about that feeling of that winning as a, as in that total team environment, forget, forget, the fact that it's Paris Sledge, it's irrelevant. It's yeah. just tell us about that. So I'll take, I'll take you to goal. yeah, I'll take you to uh, uh, to to March the uh, the eighteenth, two thousand and six, in Torino, Italy, and that's the sweater behind me. So we wake up in the morning. We're playing the um, uh, uh, the Norwegians, are the best team in the world at that time. Now it's much different. It's the U.S. and Canada, but Norway are the best by a mile. They have no grassroots program. That's why they fell off after Torino so hard. But um, I remember we, we, we went to, to breakfast that morning, and I'm 46 years old, guys. Uh, there was only one guy older than me, Harvey Lord, who's 47. The bulk of the team's under 21. Phone rings. It's Wayne Gretzky on the phone. Wayne Gretzky says a couple words to us. The young guys start to believe, hey, maybe this, is, can, this can happen. We get into the dressing room. We have warm-up. We're sitting down. We're getting ready to go out. And I remember standing up on one leg and saying to the boys, guys, I'm not letting a goal in today. Could have been the stupidest thing I ever did, guys. Um, but I said, we're winning. I don't know how we're winning. one nothing, 7 nothing, 42 nothing. I don't know. The night before, I had a dream. Greg Westlake was my roommate. He was 18 years old at the time. He's now getting ready for Beijing for his fifth games. Uh, he is 35, 35, same as my son. Um, and I said to him at three in the morning, I got up to go to the bathroom and I woke him up. I said, Hey, Wester. He goes, yeah. I said, we're winning the gold medal tomorrow night. He goes, shut up, Rosie, go back to sleep. I said, no, no, no. We're winning the gold medal. I'm getting a shout out and you're getting a winning goal. He said things I won't say now because we'll keep it to a friendly um, podcast. And that was the end of it. We're in the dressing room. We get ready. We go out. First period and second period. The buzzer sounds, the game's over. We beat Norway 3 nothing. First shot, they outshoot us 29-11. 29 shots in, in sled hockey is like 60 in able body hockey. 
It's the first ever shutout in the history of the men's game in Canada. San and Zabados for the women's team got a shutout in 10 in Vancouver, and Kerry Price from the Canadians got a shutout in 14 in Sochi. But that first shutout ever was in 2006 in Torino by a one-legged guy who was told he never could do anything great in his life. Billy Bridges gets a goal and two assists. Brad Bowden, goal and two assists. Greg Westlake, goal and two assists, winning goal. I don't know. I, I was thought I thought about opening up a one eight hundred clairvoyant line, but I figured I'll just end it. One, I'll end it at one good thing there. And uh, but yeah, when when the when the gold medal guys went around my neck, um, and Sir Philip Craven put the gold medal around me, um, I was the last one in line. If you ever pick, get a picture of the the line as it goes, um, I made sure I was the last one because I didn't know whether I was going to play four more years until uh, 50 years old in Vancouver. And I wanted to be the last one to get the medal. So I made it like, I didn't know how I was going to, but I was number 57. So it, it was never going to be a, a, an issue because I was the last number. So I just made it, we're going in numbers guys. Right. Um, and I look at that picture now still. And, and I think, Oh my God. Um, Wow. You know, I'm, I'm kind of thinking right now, I'm looking in the, in the screen, I see the picture of the sweater behind me, um, what we accomplished that day. And, and for everybody out there that's going to be a, an Olympian or a Paralympian and has a chance to win a gold medal, always remember at the end of that gold medal, take a second and go, for as long as my career goes from this point on, I may never win another one. I may win 10 more but I may never win another one. So in just soak in the experience because it's one of the hardest things on my mind is, you know, March 17, 2010, the picture behind you, when we lost in Vancouver, ended up in fourth. I think about that day every day of my life. Now it's not that it's maybe for a minute or two, but there isn't a day that's gone by that I haven't thought about Vancouver. I don't think about Torino that often because we won. It was, but I always thought we'd win again and then to lose the way we lost. But the great thing about it now in recovery, 31 months clean and sober, I think about the journey. I don't think about the heartache of the loss anymore. And I've got some incredible people in my life to thank because of that, because I've learned what's important. It wasn't the gold medal. Like, I take the gold medal everywhere. I let people touch it, hold it, whatever. I, I've got no pictures of stuff, but because to me, now it's that journey. The journey of having competed in three games at 42 years old in Salt Lake, 46 in Torino, 50 in Vancouver, and then the last two games doing that. That's Torino. That's there. That's one of my favorite pictures, guys. And that's Vancouver. That, look at that face. That's the face of a guy who's defeated. He, I was like the world. Uh, that one's a nice one. I got a smile on my face. But uh, Vancouver was like exhaustion. Vancouver, like, oh my God, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. I, I think my life is over. And um, we can get into that too if you want. Yeah, well, that must have been a real struggle to go from such massive highs um, and then obviously winning gold medals to getting to a period where the win just wasn't there. Um, and, and you've obviously struggled with that for so many times and life, life after sport as well, Rosie, it's a very different, different period to, to find out what you're going to do, but your greatest ability now is to be able to inspire, but let's go down the road first of where you got to, um, and how, how deep and where you really got. To. Yeah. So Vancouver ends and, uh, and we've come home and, and now we lose. We, we don't win. There was supposed to be a movie on my life, but fourth place was no. Uh, that was next. Two of my major sponsors backed away because I was now a retired athlete. I'm not mentioning names because they were great to me when I played. Um, and you got to learn to, 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 as happy as you are, you can't be bitter. And, you know, there's consequences to everything in the world uh, um, and everything you do. So there was great companies that were great to me at the time unfortunately walked away when my career ended and I, I equate it to September three months after the games and now I'm 50 years old I'm not working um, my speaking career has gone sort of downhill because I'm using a lot of drugs now and I'm very depressed I'm very I'm, I'm divorced um, I I've done things in my life that made my kids kind of not want to be around me um, I put hockey before in front of everybody and um i say like 
go into a room and look around that room and the lights are on and it looks incredible and then bang the lights are out and you don't know where the light switch is man like you're searching where's the light switch like six months ago i was the man everybody loved me now i can't find the light switch and i couldn't find the light switch for almost nine years guys Almost nine years, I kept looking for that light switch. And, you know, I got the job in Sochi to do the commentary, and it was great. And I had a lot of other things that I was doing. But I would, here would be a typical, typical thing, guys. I would, I would go to an event, and I would speak to 500 to 1,000 people. And I would just, standing ovation. Rosie, you're the best. We love you. Oh, my God, Rosie, we saw my shirt. Oh, Rosie. Oh, my God, Rosie, you were, I saw that game. And, oh, and. Then I'd get in my car and I'd look in my mirror and, and I'm going to be really honest with you guys more than I've ever been with a show. Cause it's been a long time now. Uh, COVID is, is really shut me down. Um, I look in the rear view mirror and go, you are an absolute idiot. You're worthless. You're, you're, you have fooled everybody. And I would just do that till I got home and I got into my bed. I pull the covers up, put sports on. And that was it until my next gig. It could be a day, it could be three days, it could be a week. I could be sometimes seven, eight days. I wouldn't answer the phone, wouldn't talk to my family, wouldn't do anything. I had a, a buddy, a couple of st uh, floors up above my apartment, bring me food. And then I'd say, okay, tomorrow I've got an event. I better get up. I'd be all scruffy. I'd shave, get in my truck. I'd get to the event and the lights would go on and my eyes would be on. Well, hey, how you doing, guys? Oh, you autograph? You want to grab it? But it would kept going kept going until January and here's the arm right there January 30th 2019 when I was um, I was probably taking 30 to 35 oxycotton a day um, anything that I could get I, I would put in my mouth um, but I, I, I couldn't survive anymore guys I I, I say to people now, I don't know if I wanted to die, but I definitely didn't want to live. And there's a huge difference there, um, but there's a lot of truth to that. And I, um, I was watching the most ironic thing is that was Bell Let's Talk Day, huge day in Canada. Bell Let's Talk about mental health. And I did an event that afternoon, and again, I left it. Everybody loved me. Nobody would have ever guessed that night Paul Rosen was going to kill himself. Paul Rosen was a hero. But I got home. I couldn't do it anymore. And uh, I wrote three notes to my kids. I, um, I turned the TV on Sports Center at 11 o'clock. I had 35 Oxycontins, very strong ones, beside my bed. I popped 10, took a drink, popped 10, took a drink, took 15, took a drink. 45 minutes later... I'm not dead. I thought I would just fall asleep and that'd be the end of it. It got to a point like I, I worked in a funeral home for, and, and my book is coming out. Everything will be in it. Uh, I worked in a funeral home that I knew that I picked up a lot of body. What What's that? That's okay. We just had a bit of feedback. Oh, oh, okay. I thought I heard a, an echo. Anyways, I worked in a funeral home, so I picked up a lot of body. So I wanted to be um, very respectful for the person that was going to pick up my body. And so, um, this is uh, tougher than I thought, but I'm going to get through it. Um, I uh, I put a clean black shirt on. I put clean underwear on, and I figured I'm just going to go to sleep, and that's going to be the end of it. No more pain. No more trouble. People wouldn't really miss me anyway, so it's not a big deal. But I, I, I'm still alive. It's I remember the sports center highlights are still on. It's 45 minutes. So I'm panicking now. I have no more drugs left. I, I, I can't get a hold of the guy who I got all my stuff from. I had no money anyway. So uh, I, I looked under the sink and I saw a gallon bottle of Windex. And I figured this has got to do it. And I drank the entire thing down. And that's what saved my life because it made me so deathly ill that um, enough got out of my system that they got me to the hospital um they got me to saint mike's from saint mike's they took me to toronto general psychiatric ward and um the next day i woke up and i'm in the psychiatric ward and i'm thinking to myself where is my life gone like i'm 59 years old now um and i've got three kids and they're gonna go and they're gonna see these notes and they're gonna see their father and you know I'm, i've got a jewish background so suicide is not a 
popular thing, uh, still very old school. And I remember the doctor coming into the room and, and just saying, like, you need help. And for the first time in my life, um, I said, yeah, I need help. And um, the last time I did anything like that was January 30th, 2019. I'm 31 months clean and sober. Um, I COVID's been tough because a lot of the things I do, uh, I, I can't do yet. Um, but I have incredible, incredible people in my corner, um, AA and NA and CA, all people out there who think that it's just numbers, it's just letters, it's just something. They're some of the greatest, incredible people in the world you will meet that will be there for the right reasons. There's some that aren't, but there's more that are. Um, very fortunate enough to meet uh, uh, um, a girl that turned into be the, the love of my life and um, changed my life. Rosie, that is so, changed, so changed good to hear, mate. Really changed my life, guys. Yeah, yeah. That sometimes uh, there's some special angels that enter your life that uh, to take you from a place where you thought you were to take you to a place where you actually need to be. Most importantly, um, and mate, I really thank you for being so raw and honest with us again. As hard as that is to drag through that story, it's the fact where you are where you are now. Um, has given all of us so much more inspiration um, than you realise, mate. And you're an incredible human, Rosie. You know that, mate. Um, and I get emotional talking about it as well. But I really appreciate you coming on, man. Thank you. Um, I love you guys. I love everybody in Australia. And uh, if anybody uh, is out there that, is have, that has an issue, that has a problem with drugs or alcohol reach out, ask for help. Aaron, you have my number. Okay. Anybody can call me. Um, go to your local AA, your local NA, your local CA. There's people that will help you. And life is so much better um, when, uh, when addiction is out of it. Life is so much better when, uh, when you see things straight and just know you don't need other substances you don't need them to survive you really don't i've seen it with people at the youngest age to the oldest age um man life can change when you can be clear-headed yeah that's definitely definitely the case and I, I think um no doubt rosie you you were one of the lucky ones um you were here for a reason mate and you're just lucky enough to get the right people around you at the right time in that corner um, and those people are hopefully with you for the rest of your life now. Um, you're you're a lucky, lucky human, but your time wasn't up, Rosie. Um, there's you had got so much more to give. And talk about giving now. I know you dedicate most of your life now to to giving back um, and inspiring people. Um, and I know how hard this COVID period is, but for you to for you to stand up there, you know, talking to kids and inspiring people. Um, you know, that's, that's, that's the Rosie that everyone loves so much. And I know every one of those boys that's played under you in the Canada ice hockey team has a whole new level of appreciation for life um, because of the ability of you, uh, the fact, the way you can inspire them. Thank you so much. I will, uh, I'll let you know as soon as uh, right now, Roger Lejoie, uh and Friesen Press are, we're in the, the midst of putting out the, uh, um, never give up the Paul Rosen story. It's everything we've talked about tonight, plus, plus, plus. Uh, it'll be out hopefully late October, early November, uh, by Christmas for sure. And um, hopefully people will uh, will read it and see that uh, you can be at the top of the mountain. You can be at the bottom of the mountain. You can be back up and back down. But as long as you keep climbing. As long as you, whether you're in your wheelchair, you're, 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 you've got no legs, you've got one leg, you keep clawing, keep clawing, even if you can't use your arms, keep, use your teeth, just keep clawing to get to the top of the mountain, because I'll guarantee you everybody can get there, and the view at the top of the mountain is spectacular. Yeah, it's, uh, it's beautiful words too, for sure. I mean, no one no. wants to be at the bottom of the mountain, but everyone wants to feel that they're 
they're part of something big. And Rosie, I I feel like a bit of baggage sometime with you because I jump on your back for inspiration. Um, but I know you've got so much more to give, mate. So I really appreciate you. Uh, lovey. Yeah, I, I'm I'm glad you came out the other side of 2019, mate, because it's things just like this podcast, for instance, that, you know, you help us. You help us understand um, what true, uh, true hardship actually is, but then how you get out, get out the other side of that. It, it, unfortunately, we know that some people just can't get out the other side, but you have. You've told us your story. Um, Aaron said that you're lucky to get out the other side. I, I, we're lucky right now, mate. So um, it's been an honour. Thank you. It's great to meet you. It won't be the last time we talk at all by any stretch. Uh, certainly we'll get the book. Um, but, mate, uh, thank you. It, it's been it's been a wonderful hour and a bit. Um, yeah, it's been great. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. And uh, hopefully... You know, 2022, we'll be back with the Ice Hockey Classic in Australia. I will be, if the Ice Hockey Classic is there, I will be there. And um, I'll be out to visit uh, all the kids in the hospital and uh, and, and anybody that, that I can. Look, we're, we're hoping that uh, it, it comes out in uh, in 22. Um, I know Gooch and Tony are working their tails off to get a new out there. Uh, it's... Uh, one of my favorite places in the entire world. Um, my thoughts and prayers are always with the Australian people, and uh, I love you guys. Thanks for having me on. Anytime, Rosie. Um, and if anyone What's wants up, to Rosie? know a little bit more about the Paul Rosen story, please check out paulrosen.ca. Um, and an incredible, inspiring um, position that we're in and we're able to be inspired is through the Ice Hockey Classic through Canada and USA. And I know, Rosie, you've been out a few times coach the Canadian team. I know you can't wait to get back to get a win with a Canadian team. Uh, that's <laughs> going to be exciting. And one thing we are going to discuss a bit more in the next few months is concussions as well. So we're going to get you and the Gooch on and a few other guys because it's so relevant in our sport as well now. And it's not just sport. It's a, it's a, it's the silent, silent uh, story that's behind so many more people that we need to talk about. So Rosie, I really appreciate you coming on with this guy. Thanks guys. Be well. Thank you. Take it easy. Thanks, mate. Look after yourself.